we're going through, the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, he's always there. He is always there. And that's a, that's a relief and that, that's a comfort for sure. So we're going to go into the message today. And just, just um, a reminder, so last week, for those that saw it, right, we had an object lesson, right? That object lesson was the, was the loincloth. Right, we talked about that, uh, what the loincloth represent, and there were a couple takeaways from that message. It was, you know, making sure that we're listening to God's word in our lives, um, make sure we're following His will for our lives um, that He has for us. Just like, just so like Huff so eloquently prayed that it's His will be done in our life. And the third thing for last week is make sure that we stay focused. We stay focused on Him in our lives and not get distracted by the latest and greatest thing in our lives. So we're going to talk about another object lesson today, and that object lesson is going to be about the miracle of the floating axe head. Now, Brother Randy loaned me this one, and uh, it's, it's a, a small seven scripture passage in the Old Testament. Some of you may have read it, some of you may have not read it. It might be the first time you've heard of this miracle, uh, but we're going to look at it today and, and dive into it a little bit. Anytime you open the scripture, you want to make sure you have a clear idea of what you're focused on. All right. And so as we begin today, I'm going to share with you a four and a half minute clip about what the floating axe head is not. Okay. What the floating axe head is not so that you clearly understand this is not the miracle of the floating axe head. Brother Brian, are you good? All right. Morning. So um, that, that's not what the floating axe head miracle is, all right? And, uh, but it is a, a good kind of illustration there as we, as we get started uh, diving into God's Word this morning. So uh, if you could, let's stand, open the Scripture, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, 1 through 7. We'll read this passage together. Great to see everyone this morning. Here we go. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them and when they came to the Jordan they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you, Lord, for being in your house this morning or, or watching online and just having the scriptures open so that we can learn from it and we can grow, and most importantly, we can apply it to our lives. So I pray that as we, as we come together at this time, that we can see the truth that's in your scriptures, and we can see how good you really are, how you're always, always there for us. Thank you. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so we have the prophet um, Elijah. This is going to be the hardest part of the sermon for me this morning because I'm talking about Elijah. 
who was Elisha's um, predecessor, mentor. So um, there's a little bit different. We know several of the miracles with Elijah. Um, but Elijah was a little bit more uh, confrontational in his message. He, he fought evil. He really took a stand against the evil and the choices that people were making, um, such as idolatry. Um, but what he did is he really created an atmosphere that was much more open for people that they could come and publicly worship uh, their God. So, like I said, Elijah was Elisha's mentor. So Elisha is who we're talking about now. And, um, and he, of course, demonstrated the power of God. But he did so, he did so um, in, a, in a caring nature to all those that he came in contact with. Um, there's actually... The Bible records 18 encounters between Elisha and, and the needy people of his time. And so we're going to be looking at one of those miracles, one of those today. And so we're going to walk through this um, verse by verse as we explain the story here and the miracle of the floating axe head. So, everybody with me? Good, still there? 2 Kings 6. First verse, now the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. So essentially what we have here, we have a school. We have a seminary, right? And uh, what we have here is we have Elijah the prophet. He's, he's leading the school and these sons of the prophets, they're there in training to, to grow and to become other prophets and words and speakers uh, for God. Um, but... They ran out of elbow room. Simply put, they ran out of elbow room. The uh, class, classroom got a little too small. Um, I was looking up uh, the national average because a lot of times we look at, especially in some schools, is the teacher-to-student ratio. So, so the uh, national average is uh, 16 to 1, 16 students to one teacher. Uh, West Virginia is uh, 15 to 1, and my house is 4 to 1. I like those odds better, right? Right. But, uh, but essentially, they had just ran out of room. And, um, and so they didn't know, you know, what... I, I like the fact that the student said, okay, we've got a problem. But like any good student, I know I always like it when somebody says, well, here's a solution to what the problem might be. So they had this solution. Um, and that takes us to verse number two. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. So we have this class of students. They want to go down to the Jordan River and uh, build a larger campus. They want to build a larger schoolhouse. And I like it when in this verse it says that each of us go. And there, there's a little, um, you know, kind of like nuggets throughout the story, you know, that accompany the same message, the same theme of the story this morning. And I'll call those out as we go. But I like it says each of us. That they, they were together in this cause. It wasn't, you know, somebody you know, didn't want to do it. It's, everybody wanted to do this, and they were all in it together, and I think it made it a very effective adventure here as they go and they do it together. And they didn't just sit and complain about it either. If, it, if they did, it was left out of the story, but I don't think they did. I think they realized that they were growing, and I think that they wanted to do this together, and they had a heart, just like in Colossians 3.23, that it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So this whole class, this whole group was ready to go down and build a bigger place uh, for their seminary, so to speak. All right. And um, so at the end of this passage, they asked their uh, pro they asked prophet Elijah if they could go, right? They had to ask the principal. I don't mean to correlate it too much to school, but I think it's easy to relate to, right? If you want to do something, you got to ask permission to do it. 
And this, these students did that. I remember um, back in high school, I was a member of the SEAL Club. All right, everybody like those acronyms, but the Student Environmental Action League, right? And uh, we needed to do a fundraiser. And uh, so I was like, all right, well, what can we do to do this, do this? Ended up playing cow patty golf. Everybody's heard of cow patty bingo. All right, cow patty bingo. Well, you may not have heard of cow patty bingo, but uh, I'll explain that later. Um, but cow patty golf. So I was fortunate enough to, uh, to grow up um, on my grandpa's farm. And uh, essentially, we designed a seven-hole golf course in the cow pasture and you had penalties and different things if you hit a cow patty but the only thing is you had to play it as it lies it only happened twice but <laughs> but but the, all the teachers were a good sport but I remember I had to go to the principal's office I, thankfully I didn't have to go very often but I went and had to ask permission you know to have this fundraiser and it was a good day it was a fun day um, and we made six or seven hundred bucks for, for the club and stuff it was good but right so they had a problem they needed to uh, come up with a solution, and they asked permission for it, and then they go down to the Jordan River. And that takes us to verse 3. It says, Then one of them said, Be pleased with your servants. And he answered, I will go. Elijah answered, I will go. So that's great. They got permission, right? They got permission They wanted uh, that they wanted. And so they went down, and they wanted the great God, uh, great man of God, Elijah, to go with them. And so when I read this verse... I got to thinking about they wanted Elijah to be with them during their work. They wanted him to be with him on this mission. Who do we want to be with, uh, with us in our lives? Right? You know, here in Huff and Sally Pray, they're, they're living their life together. We're living our lives with our spouses. Right? Who do we want to live our life with? And from this context of this um, uh, short verse here, it made me think about they wanted to be close to their prophet. They wanted to be close to the man of God in the scripture. Do we want the same thing? Do we want to always be near the scripture? Do we want to be with people that challenge us and build us up and have us, have, cause us to have a stronger relationship with Christ? Do we really want that? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. But we need to get to more yeses for sure. So that's just a little thing as I was reading through that. Now, Elisha was a very important prophet. Okay? He was a very important prophet. He was a busy man. He was responsible for all the teaching. He had many obligations and many responsibilities. So he showed some great humility here. That, okay, I'm going to go. He could easily said, no, I got more important things to do. But he went with them. Right? He went with them. Now, I think that, you know, Elijah hadn't planned to go, but of course it was all in God's plan for him to be in this adventure together. All right? Everybody got it so far? Nothing too complicated, nothing too deep, nothing too spiritual. Don't worry, we're getting there. All right? But just make sure you're following the story here. All right, verse 4. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. All right, again, pretty straightforward. Here we're starting to shape up the story a little bit. We're not going to the local pond. We're not going down to the woods. We're going down to the Jordan River. Right? And the Jordan River is um, a central theme throughout the entire Bible. We hear it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Jordan River is first mentioned um, in Genesis with Abraham and Lot. Joshua and Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground in Joshua 3. 
judges and early kings, they had to control the passing of the fords, which is like where you cross the river. And a lot of times, all those little battles and everything, whoever controlled the crossing of the Jordan River ultimately were the one that had the upper hand in battle. Right? So, um, so it often meant victory or defeat for whoever had those. And then the miracles here of Elijah and Elisha uh, happened on the Jordan River. And then the Jordan River stays significant into the New Testament as well, right? John the Baptist preaching uh, and then baptizing in the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, right? And then many miracles that Jesus held, uh, performed throughout his life, his whole ministry almost circled around uh, the Jordan Valley area. So the Jordan River is a significant theme throughout the entire Bible. The Jordan River here in this story um, and in others is symbolic in many ways. And in our story today, it's actually a um, representation of death, right? So the Jordan River represents death as it separates. Think about what did they have to cross over? What did the Israelites have to cross over for them to get to the promised land? They had to cross over the Jordan River. Just like for us to get to our promised land, we have to go through death to get to eternity with our Savior. So the Jordan River here is extremely significant in the meaning of this passage. All right, so what did they start to do in the story? They started to cut down trees. Pretty simple. They started to cut down trees. They got to work right when they arrived. And there was a sense of urgency and, again, camaraderie together as they went to build a bigger house. But then here's where the story takes a dramatic turn. Drastic turn. I don't know what word I just got out, but drastic turn. Verse 5. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. All right. So today, if we were out cutting, probably something a little bit bigger than this, if we were cutting down a tree. All right. But if we were out cutting a tree, and we lost the axe head, Eh, eh. Do you consider that a small thing or a big thing? Eh, probably a small thing in our lives, right? right. And we could, we could easily stop right there. We could stop right there and say, hey, that's a great takeaway from this passage. Eh, it's just a small thing, but God cares about it. Thank you so much. Matthew 10, 29, it states this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than the sparrows. God cares about the small things. And that's a good nugget from this passage. God cares about the small things. It's true. It's a promise. We talked about it Wednesday night about the sovereignty of God. He's all-knowing. He is everywhere with us. He is in control of everything. We should pray about the large things. We should pray about the small things. And I asked, well, why should we do that? And I actually heard this week, I don't have the exact quote, but paraphrased here, that we should pray to God for the small things and the large things because what seem, might seem large to us is actually very small to God. They're all small to God. No matter how big our problems is, it's all little to Him. So this little axe head may seem like a small problem for us, but for this guy, it was huge. It was huge. And it was huge for really for two reasons, right? But it actually was a common problem. So I want to 
take you to a passage a little bit further back. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 19, chapter 19, verse 4. can't say when you get there, say amen, because Brown beats me every time. He's fast. This was actually a common problem for the axe head to, to come off. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 4 and 5, it says, this is the, it's talk, actually talking about sanctuary cities and giving an example of this. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live. Right. So, it's, so why did I share that? It's actually kind of cool how much axe is mentioned in the Bible um, when you do these things. But why did I mention that here? It's because it, it is a common occurrence um, for it to happen. Um, it... it is today and it was back then um, and also uh, acts let's look at first Samuel 13 first Samuel 13 first okay. Samuel 13 22 says so on the day of battle there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of the people with Saul and Jonathan but Saul and Jonathan his son had them now, who wants to go into battle without a weapon? Not many people, right? If we back up just a little bit and look at verse 19, it says, Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. So I share those two pieces of Scripture with you to, to show that uh, God used this as an illustration that many people could relate to, right, um, in the Sanctuary City passage. And then in this one, it wasn't like you could just run down to, uh, this is cobalt. So you couldn't run down to Lowe's and pick up another one. You, you just couldn't do it, right? So, so not many of these things, you know, um, the people back then, they, they wouldn't have one, especially a poor seminary student, right, or student in college, right? They, they don't have a lot of money to go out and buy one. So... As we start looking at this a, a little bit deeper here, we, we see, I want to look at another passage that's going to connect a few dots for us. So let's go to Exodus twenty-two fourteen. Exodus twenty-two fourteen. It says, If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. What does this mean? If this student cannot get this axe head back, what does he have to do? He has to replace it. Either with an axe or monetarily. So what does that make this student? He is now in debt. He is now in debt with an item that he cannot replay, replace, and he's in debt with an item that he has no way to pay for it. The law requires justice in the form of comp compensation. So now he is in debt and he has no way to pay for it and his axe head is stuck where? Stuck in the mud 
in the bottom of the Jordan River. Everybody see how this is a big deal? It's a big deal to this fellow. But have no fear. Let's look at verse number 6, back in 2 Kings. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Made the iron float. Lillian asked me last night, she said, what can I read, Dad, for bed? I was like, well, read this passage. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. So she read it out loud and she said, the axe head float. The axe head floated. That don't make any sense, Dad. I was like, we'll talk about it in the morning. (laughs) But yeah, the axe head floated. So Elijah came to him and he said, where did it fall? So here when Elijah says this, he understands the, this is not a small situation for this student. This is a big deal for him. And he shows his compassion. Elijah shows his compassion for the student. He says, where does it fall? When I read this, I think about the mother that says, son, where does it hurt? We get that question a couple times a week. <laughs> where, where does it hurt? Right? In that caring, that compassion of the mother, there is similar compassion to what Elijah had for him. Also, he says, where did it fall? The student knew exactly where it was at. He said it was right here. A lot of, a lot of commentaries and, 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 and writers, they give this guy a bad rap. They say, well, he was just careless. But we, we know he wasn't careless because, one, he was cutting away from people, right? It fell in the river. We talk about it's a common occurrence, right? We saw that it was a common occurrence in Deuteronomy. So he was being smart about it. He wasn't being careless. And when he lost the axe head, he knew exactly where it was at in the river. I love asking a question that everybody will say yes to. Has anybody ever lost anything? Yes. <laughs> everybody has lost something whether it's the wallet, the keys, and they even make, they even make uh, clappers, and uh, there's a company called Tile. Anybody heard of a company, Tile? You might actually have one on your keys. Where I can actually, we actually use this at work because we have these uh, scanners at work, and we lost one the other day. We're like, we don't want to lose any many of those because they're like two grand. Right? So the, the lady in IT, Belinda, she, she, took a, she ordered these tiles, and you can attach them to a device, and then on your phone, you can see where they're at, GPS, so you can walk around, you can find them all, right? Or you could just remember where you put stuff. But it gets hard when you got all these little things to remember where everything is at. But it's lost. But the good news is he's know exactly when it went in. And I wanted to share now a, a quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, about losing something. About losing something. It says this, it says, tell me where you lost the company of Christ and I will tell you the most likely place to find him. Have you lost Christ in the, clo- in the closet by restraining prayer? Then it is there that you must seek and find him. Did you lose Christ by sin? You will find Christ in no other way but by giving up the sin and seeking by the Holy Spirit to mortify the member in which the lust dwells. Did you lose Christ by neglecting the Scriptures? You must find Christ in the Scriptures. It is a true proverb. 
Look for a thing where you dropped it. It is there. So look for Christ where you lost him, for he has not gone away. So where you lose something, I think the other day one of my kids got frustrated with me. I was like, well, where'd you have it last? We always say that. I've already looked there, Dad. Well, yeah, sure, but that's where you got to start. That's where you got to, actually, it was this, what happened again this morning. I'm like, where's my jacket, Dad? I was like, I don't know. Where'd you have it last? Right? You know, we, we, we live this. We see this. And thankfully, this student knew exactly where it was at, where it fell in the river. So what happens? Elijah, the man of God, asked where did it fall, and then when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and he threw it in the river. He cut off the stick and he threw it in the river. Right? Should have brought a stick and threw it down at Caitlin. Brought a stick, he threw it in the river. And then it floated up. It floated up. The axe head floated up out of the muddy bottom of the Jordan River and it floated on top of the water. Floated on top of the water. So Elijah, this man of God, was there in a time of trouble to help this man with the debt that he had to pay. Is it starting to take a little shape in your mind? The stick that he threw into the river is symbolic of the works of Christ in our lives. The same word that's translated as stick is found in Deuteronomy chapter 21. This is where I get excited when all this stuff clicks together. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. We're going to read verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is put, excuse me, punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. That word tree is the same word in our passage as the stick that he threw in the water. It's the same word. But you shall bury him on the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now this passage is referenced in Galatians 3.13. And we'll flip over now and read Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that references back to our Deuteronomy passage. So let's recap this small story, but rather a significant miracle. We're at the Jordan River, which represents death. We have a man that lost an axe head and is now in debt. We have Elijah representing Christ to help a man that is in distress and has a debt to pay. We have a stick thrown in the water represents the work of Christ and the curse and the death on the cross. We have an axe head laying in the muddy Jordan River as essentially man's purpose for his life. So this miracle of the axe head floating is actually a representation and the miracle of the salvation and redemption that comes 
through Christ. So one more verse. Verse 7. It says, And he said, Take it up. Elijah said this to the student. Take it up. So he reached out his hand and he took it. He reached out his hand and he took it. To me it sounds just like John chapter 5. It's a miracle of the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. A man that was there for 38 years. I'm in John chapter 5 if you want to flip over there. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down in front of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Both of these men took the hand of God, extended to them, and they were saved. The man in our miracle of the axe head story no longer had a debt to pay. I went through the pieces of the story. Do you realize that the man in debt stuck in the bottom of the Jordan River is you and is I? We have a debt to pay that only the works of Christ could pay. God has compassion on us. Elijah has compassion on his student. And we are called to have compassion on others. We must choose Christ and we must help others make that decision also. Tony Warren writes this, This whole episode demonstrates to us the condescension coming down of the Son of God humbling Himself that He might be nailed to a tree, become a curse for us, and come through the water of death to provide solution for our debt. It's just a little story. It's just a little story. It's just a little miracle of an axe head floating. Can you see it's much bigger than that? It's much, much bigger than that. So now what do I do with it? So many takeaways from this story. It's a beautiful picture of the salvation and redemption work of Christ. But I got three takeaways. Huff always likes to put takeaways up. Takeaways. I didn't say put takeaways up, but you always put takeaways up. So here's, here's a couple takeaways today. No matter the weight of the problem, it will float when surrendered to God. Small or large, no matter the weight of the problem, it will float when you surrender it to God. A lot of people raised their hands earlier. There's a lot of heavy weight on a lot of our hearts and in our lives. Second, know where it went wrong Know where it went down and start your work there. If you know you want to put more scripture in your heart, where did it go wrong? 
when you stop looking in the scripture. <laughs> Go back to where it went wrong. Go back to where you lost it. And start right there. And number three, God sends a solution. It is up for us to take it up or lift it out. We can't just sit around. We all have problems. But God has every solution that we need. It might not be what we want in our human nature. But God sends the solution. So are you stuck in the mud? Or are you floating through the miracle of salvation? Let's stand.